Good evening. How are you? Welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford. Where else? Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Did you know that some Welsh parents, a group of Welsh parents, four mothers in fact, but they represent more than 5,000 parents, they are suing the Welsh government because the Welsh government wants to introduce children as young as three Uh, to sex and gender identity stuff. That's true. This is meant to happen this coming September. But a group of mothers, numbering in their thousands, uh, are saying, well, no, not on our watch. We'll be joined this hour by Kim Isherwood. Kim chairs the campaign group Public Child Protection Wales. Really interesting lady. We'll talk to Kim this hour. In the meantime, lots to talk about, lots going on. You can join in by sending me a message through richieallen.co.uk. That's the website. Comment Live is how you do it. Get on there, leave me a comment and chat amongst yourselves while you do so. That's a Thursday's programme. Yeah, it is. Lovely day today. Lovely to be with you, to be with you, lovely. How are things in your life, eh? Good? Don't come bitching to me, I tells you. No do, you can if you like. I'll be your counsellor. I'm old enough to remember counsellors on television on Sky in the afternoons. Beachy. Mentioned him earlier in the week. Beachy Coakley. Yeah, and all of that jazz. Okay. There is unimaginable evil in the world. Now, as someone who never saw himself as being particularly spiritual, you know, I'm an agnostic, or at least I think I'm an agnostic. What am I? I think, therefore, I'm an Egypt. I don't know what I am, but um, I'm open-minded. It's unimaginably evil, I think. Not the world, but there are unimaginably evil people in it and things going on that are detestable and horrible. Have you heard today, this coming out of the United States of America, Moderna, that's the pharmaceutical joint, Moderna, has filed a request for emergency use authorization for its COVID jab to use in children aged between six months old and six years old. This is new, okay? Uh, The request by Moderna is for the approval of two doses of 25 micrograms of Moderna's mRNA jab. Would you like to hear CNN News reporting this earlier on? Here's CNN. From millions of parents with young children and babies. Moments ago, Moderna announced it is seeking emergency use authorization for its COVID vaccine for children six months through five years old. This has been the missing link. These people, kids, have not been covered, not been able to be vaccinated until this point. Am I smiling? Mm -hmm. I think I'm smiling. The pharmaceutical giant is presenting data from its latest studies to support this move. The company believes this vaccine will be able to safely protect children against the virus. Mm. So, a pharmaceutical company wants emergency use authorization to give a COVID jab to six-month-old children. Yeah, and the journalist working for CNN says... Am I smiling? Mm -hmm. I think I'm smiling. 
And... Am I smiling? I think I'm smiling. Yeah. Are you investigating? No, you're not feckin' investigating. That's for sure. I'm not going to swear. I'm not. That's journalism, folks, in 2022. Am I smiling? I think I'm smiling. Okay, let's hear more of the report then. It gets interesting. Joining me now, CNN Chief Medical Correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Okay, Sanjay. Give us the numbers here. Give us the presentation. Okay. We know who Sanjay Gupta is, don't we? A shameless whore for the pharmaceutical companies. Let's get the numbers from Sanjay. What are the numbers? Talk to us about the efficacy of the Moderna mRNA jab in children aged six months to six years. So let me preface by saying this is coming from the pharmaceutical company. As we always say, this data does have to be vetted, validated by the FDA. So we're just hearing from Moderna. Um, what, what they have found by giving 25 micrograms, so that's one quarter of the dose they give to adults, they're giving to children under the age of five. Let me show you the numbers. Uh, they were looking at how much does this uh, protect in terms of antibodies overall, got good antibody response. Here are the numbers in terms of overall efficacy against symptomatic infection. So getting an infection that has any sort of symptoms at all, you know, it could be just a runny nose, whatever. In, in the six month to two year, about 51% effective. 51 percent effective in the six months to two to, to uh, two year age group 51 percent really what about the rest of it two to five years 37 percent effective two to, two five, to five years 37 37 percent effective sanjay you see the presenter should say sanjay has this been compared to the body's natural immune system and how effective the body's natural immune system is against COVID-19 or the Omicron strain or whatever. 51% in six months to two-year-olds and 37% even in two-year-olds to five-year-olds. That sounds like garbage, Sanjay. But no, he doesn't say that. Those are much lower numbers than we're used to seeing from the beginning of the pandemic, but very similar, John, to what we see with adults with Omicron and, and the Moderna vaccine at that higher dose. So against any kind of symptomatic infection. What we see in adults is that it's very protective against severe infection, against hospitalization and death. But children are, aren't likely to have uh, severe, hospital, uh, severe illness hospitalization. So Children are not likely to have severe illness or hospitalization. We don't have numbers for that. Those are the best numbers in terms of efficacy because there weren't enough kids who got severely ill to actually draw a comparison. <laughs> there weren't enough children who got severely ill, therefore we can't make any comparison whatsoever. But parents, give a COVID jab from Moderna to your six-month-old baby. Why don't you? Yeah. The host didn't ask. He had plenty of time, nor did the bimbo, the bimbo who said, remember, who said this. Am I smiling? Hmm. I think I'm smiling. She's smiling. The bimbo is smiling. None of them asked him, what about the body's natural response? How does that compare to the COVID jabs? Because the answer you see is, well, the natural body immunity or bodily immunity is far more effective than any poison you could give your children from Moderna, particularly poison that requires emergency use authorization because it's not been through years of clinical trials. If you're a parent in the United States or anywhere else and you submit your child to be jabbed by one of these things, just listening to what Gupta told CNN you're guilty of child abuse. In my opinion, it sounds very strong, it sounds awful, it sounds harsh, but you've got to be guilty of child abuse. Your children don't need these toxic tidal waves of pus and crap in their systems. 
their natural God-given immune systems are more than enough to handle a mild respiratory illness like COVID. Isn't that just incredible? I know I bore you with this stuff, but you've not had the career I've had. This is astonishing to me. Am I smiling? Mm. I think I'm smiling. Unbelievable! This wench! Imagine, Moderna has come out today and asked for emergency use authorization to give a jab to children that is only 37% effective in two to five-year-olds. Am I smiling? I think I'm smiling. Hope she dies in agony. No, I don't really mean that. I don't. Uh, members of Parliament watching porn when they should be working and all of that a little bit later. I know you're only dying to hear about that. You're not okay. I know you're not. But there's some interesting things coming out of it. We'll get into it a little bit later. It's nine minutes past five. I will be reading your comments out right soon, so get them in now. Moderna, are you listening in the United States? Do you have a young child? I mean, if you're listening to me... You're not going to subject your child to receiving that jab. I don't imagine if you're listening to me, you wouldn't do it. But not that I'm an expert, I'm not. Listen, first of all, nobody should take medical advice from me. I'm saying what I would do. Listening to that Sanjay Gupta character. Knowing what I do about the impact of COVID on children. It's non-existent, the impact. Nothing. Didn't touch them. Didn't brush them. Oh, it's bad stuff. Uh, the fallout from the High Court decision yesterday continues. What High Court decision, Richie? Well, the High Court ruled yesterday that UK government, the UK government, and Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, acted unlawfully when they discharged people from hospitals into care homes without any concern for the people residing in those care homes, just in case you don't remember. In the judgment, Lord Justice Bean and Justice, Justice Garnham found the decisions of Matt Hancock to make and maintain a series of policies contained in documents issued on the 17th and 19th of March and the 2nd of April in 2020. Those decisions, discharging people from hospitals into care homes, were unlawful. Now, Hancock has been writing in the Telegraph today, he's been telling more lies about that he wasn't told by Public Health England that asymptomatic transmission was a thing. Now, I don't believe asymptomatic transmission is a thing. As you know, I don't believe it. I don't think you believe it either. But Hancock is lying when he says he didn't know. He did know because Valance and Whitty had been speaking about it publicly and there were a number of papers claiming that asymptomatic transmission was a thing. It's complicated, isn't it? We don't believe it was a thing, but Hancock is a liar. He was told it was. So that's... Um, carried on today. Suzanne Evans, formerly of UKIP, was speaking to uh, LBC Radio, I think. Here's Suzanne Evans. And my overriding feeling about this is that are we really a country that throws our elderly people to the walls? Because that's what it looks like. It was like the elderly don't care, don't matter. They're in care homes. They're near the end of their life anyway. And what really bugs me is that we still don't seem to care. We still have a situation because of the ongoing COVID paranoia. You know, we've got to learn to live with COVID now, but we still have, and I have friends and family in care homes. You're still not allowed to visit properly. There are still rules and regulations. Um, care home residents with dementia don't understand what's going on. Um, I, I, I've heard dreadful stories, both in a friend of mine in, 
care home who, sa who sadly recently died, um, but other other family and friends who are really struggling and, and feel their their loved ones feel that they've been totally let down. The situation is absolutely appalling. I we've spoken about this Ian before. I, I think the way in which the government handled the whole pandemic, throwing out long established pandemic plans in favour of the Chinese lockdown model was a massive mistake. We will be paying for the consequences for a very long time. And as Simon says, that inquiry can't come soon enough. Mm. We have to make sure this never happens again. And rather than anyone sue the government, because at the end of the day, it's only the taxpayer that ends up paying for that. It's you and me and all of us around this table who are, who are paying taxes. Um, they're, they're the only people that we're the only people that lose out. What I want is an insurance from government. This will never happen again. And I think it should be set and sealed in legislation that we have no more lockdowns, that we never again have these knee-jerk reactions. Don't hold your breath waiting for it to be set in legislation. Surely Suzanne Evans knows that the World Health Organization wants governments to hand power over how to respond to future pandemics to it, to the World Health Organization, whose biggest donor is one William Gates. She must know that. And that's going to happen. That's not just a pipe dream of the World Health Organization. It is going to happen, I would guess. It's how things are meant to progress. I'm a poet and I don't even know it. The time is, God knows what, what is it? Keep you up, it's drive time, I've got to tell you the time. It's a 13 and a half minutes past five. To your comments now, please leave them at richieallen.co.uk. A good evening to Paul, who says, in his opinion, the vaccine brainwashing has worked wonders on a lot of people. Paul says he met an old gentleman yesterday, wheelchair bound and in his 80s. I ended up walking into town with him and he told me how he'd been hospitalised with each of the four jabs he'd had. Really, Paul? He'd gone to hospital with side effects of, um, of each one of his jabs, um, but that he would take as many as would be offered to him because it would be better than getting COVID, says Paul. Isn't that amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? Doesn't matter how many jabs you get uh, and how many times it renders you very, very ill, I'm going to keep getting them Anyway, kind of reminds us of this fella, doesn't it? I had the vaccine. It put me in hospital for a day. But I haven't moaned. I've had the second one and it put me in hospital for another day. But I'd much rather have that than COVID. You see, I'm quick me, aren't I? Sometimes, just sometimes. And that's quick for a Thursday. Matthew, the lunatic who spoke to Radio 5 Live a year and a half ago, went on to say... Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? <laughs> yeah. Why should somebody who refused to have the jab get a hospital bed if they need one because I might need a hospital bed for a bad reaction after the jab? Wonderful. That kind of deserves, it's been a while now, sure, go on. All right, we won't overdo it. Uh, the city of York has taken the freedom of the city away from Andrew, the Duke of York, the grand old Duke of York. He had 10,000 men. He marched them up to the top of the hill and they felt up a load of young girls and they came back down again. Wonderful rhyme, we learned that in school. The city of York has taken the freedom of the city away from Andrew, that's Prince Andrew, and just before the Queen's Jubilee celebrations. York City Councillor Daryl Smalley 
was on the media run this morning. Councillor Daryl Smalley from York explaining the decision to Good Morning Britain presenters. The vote last night was unanimous, so we had Liberal Democrats, Conservatives, Labour and Green Party councillors all voting in favour of removing that honour, the honorary freedom of York from Prince Andrew. It's the first time in our city's history we've ever taken that step and previous recipients include Winston Churchill, Dame Judi Dench and other fantastic citizens of York. And... Um, yeah, I was speaking personally as a resident of the city. It's not been great having, looking at the broadsheets, looking at international media and even our local paper, and even in this segment today, the Duke of York. The city is constantly linked to that man, and as the very serious allegations came out, it's really been quite upsetting mm. having York, a fantastic city with a brilliant international reputation, linked to Prince Andrew. The, um, the allegations, of course, Prince Andrew is denied. Uh, he was never found guilty. And lots of people will say, you know, what on earth are you doing thinking about taking this away from somebody? Because of exactly those reasons, it's not really up to you to decide whether you should take away the freedom of, the Duke, uh, freedom of York from the, from the Duke of York himself. Well, I'll tell you, Ben, before the councillor comes back in, it might be because he lied through his teeth on the Emily Maitlis interview on Newsnight about not being able to sweat and all of that garbage. It might be because there was a photograph of him standing alongside Virginia Dufre Roberts or Roberts Dufre taken by your woman Maxwell. That might be, you know, maybe the councillors in York, maybe they have a point. They don't need this guy up there and they certainly don't need to give him the freedom of the city, you know. York himself. It's a very fair point. I think what I would do is, is say, look at the example the Queen set. And even yourself said, maybe many people waking up that many months ago when the Queen stripped him of those military patronages, assumed he'd lost all his titles. We're very aware in York that both the honorary freedom and the dukedom both linked him to our city. And obviously it wasn't for the, well, for the honorary freedom, it wasn't for the Queen to remove, it was for city councillors mm. to decide that. And that's the decision we made yesterday. Um, and we're only really following that example the Queen set. She saw that it was doing serious reputational damage to those military institutions and charities and so stepped in to remove him from those positions. And we believe very strongly, and many residents agree with us, that we should be removing all links between our city and Prince Andrew. Okay. York has a fantastic relationship with the monarchy going back hundreds of years. It's something we cherish. We can't cherish it whilst we have Prince Andrew as our most senior royal. No, good, good enough. Tim in Brazil says, I love the humour, Richie. Thanks, Tim. Tim, I say it often if we don't laugh. If we don't laugh, we go, man. We go. Upstairs we go. You've got to laugh at these idiots. Tony says, I had to use the No Hope service yesterday. He means the NHS. And from trying to get a GP's telephone appointment to my visit to accident and emergency, it was a joke. The lunatics have taken over. We no longer have a useful health service, says Tony. Cookie says Tony, mass murderer, should have his stripped and a long jail term. Cookie is referencing, I reckon, former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair. Indeed. Alan says it amazes me how many do not accept that we and they are all victims of a psyop regarding the jabs. John says, am I smiling? I think I'm smiling. And then he says, when I see Nuremberg too... John, I hope you're joking, for your sake. Not that I'm, you know, the arbiter of what's true and what isn't true, because I'm not. We, we've all just got opinions. But nobody's going to be going to any Nuremberg-style trials, John. It's not going to happen. I think you're jesting. I think your tongue is in your cheek anyway. 
It's not going to happen. These people are not going to be brought before any people's tribunals and sentenced to long jail terms or something far more drastic. It's not. I wouldn't be holding my breath. William says the Moderna juice was constructed by the US Defence Agency, DARPA. If you don't believe me, says William, just look it up. Thank you, William. And Pandora has shared a letter written by, an open letter written by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, thank you, Pandora. I might check that out a little bit later on. And thanks to Caroline as well. Busy says, in other news, the vaccines are so safe with no side effects that a new law has been brought in in the UK that it will strike off any doctor who questions or criticises the vaccines, COVID itself, or the harms the lockdowns have done. That isn't true. Busy. That's not true. A law hasn't been passed in the UK that says doctors will be struck off if they question the vaccines, COVID, or lockdown harms. Um, show us some evidence of that, but I, I, I haven't seen any. Uh, I'm sure there are those busy who would like that to be the case, who would like to strike off doctors, but it isn't the law of the land yet. Um, unless you can prove otherwise, let me know. IT Bird says statistics is the rotten branch of mathematics. I despise it at uni and even more so now. Statistics facilitate evil. That's IT Bird there. Lots of comments. Thank you for them. Keep them coming in. Please, to richieallen.co.uk. The time is now 21 minutes past the hour. Tyg Shelley says, Richie, I'm wondering how you, or have you, or any of your listeners watched Hugo Talks? No, mate, I've, I've, I've not heard of that. Um, he discusses how all the American doctors who are very much anti-jab uh, joined Trump at his rallies, and as we all know, he is very pro-jab. What's going on, says Tyg? Good question, Tyg, I don't know. What I do know is is that the Twitter was abuzz this morning with uh, retweets and tweets of a brand new clinical study which alleges that ivermectin is not effective against COVID-19. I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just telling you it's interesting. I know doctors, I've spoken to doctors on this programme, GPs, qualified men and women, and they swear by ivermectin as an antiviral. And there's been some... Furores. There's been some hype in the last uh, 18 to 24 hours about a new study that says ivermectin is not effective. Maybe we should take such studies with a large pinch of salt. Maybe. I don't know. Right, what else have I got to tell you before we um, think about speaking with our guest this hour? We shouldn't get too excited about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Says who? says Frank Furedi, one-time guest on this programme. Uh, he's a sociologist at Kent University. He was speaking to Mike Graham on Talk TV, which used to be Talk Radio, or maybe it still is, I don't know. Frank Furedi. A lot of really woke people are going to uh, freak out. They're already freaking out. They're in a, they're in a bit of a meltdown. And, and basically, they're saying they're going to leave Twitter. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's what they say is going to happen. And a lot of other people feel very enthusiastic, and that's good. But to be honest, uh, I think that when, when, when reality hits us six months from now, we'll realize that by and large, we still have the same Twitter with the same old problems. And we still cannot take the freedom of expression and freedom of speech for granted. 
No, I think that's absolutely right. Because it only changes, doesn't it? I mean, there's always going to be problems. There's always, always will be people who will abuse free speech. There always will be people who will be victims of it. There will be other people who are stopped from doing what they ought to be allowed to do. It's never going to be perfect, is it? No, we just have to be, you know, use our common sense and stand up for our democratic rights. That's all that we can do. And as long as we're vigilant, then free speech will never be undermined in a very fundamental way. It will be frayed at the edges, but, you know, we have to understand and be realistic about this. Mm, be realistic about it. Nothing is going to change under Elon Musk's stewardship. Nothing. Now, I have to, again, preface it. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. That's just my opinion. If I'm proved wrong, I'll be delighted. I don't think I will be proved wrong, though. Steve asks, wasn't it the inventor of ivermectin uh, who won the Nobel Prize a few years back? Yes, that's right. It's used as an antiparasitic, right? Ivermectin. Uh, Caroline says, Max Egan has claimed his account has been reactivated on Twitter. Really? Okay. Uh, Taffy says, I tried to book my first doctor's appointment uh, earlier today. Oh, no, let me read that again. Taffy says, I tried to book my first doctor's appointment since lockdown earlier today. I had a 45-minute wait on the phone, only to be told I had to apply online and I had to wait five days. I'll be dead by then, says Taffy. (laughs) Maybe you won't be. I have no time for Andrew, says Craig. Did he lie? Undoubtedly. But has he not been prosecuted for any crimes? So much like the Russian oligarchs, if they can do this to Andrew without a legal conviction, they can do it to anyone. Apples and oranges, Craig. The point about the Russian oligarchs as well made, they confiscated people's property, froze their bank accounts just because they were Russian. And because Russia has waged war on Ukraine. Andrew is obviously lying about not knowing Virginia Roberts Dufresne. was obviously lying about um, the time he spent with Jeffrey Epstein or the time he didn't spend with Jeffrey Epstein. He's obviously a very sleazy man. So it's apples and oranges, I think. Um, I also have no time for people being convicted in the court of public opinion. Of course I don't. I won't be hypocritical. But I wouldn't want to have anything to do with Andrew. If I was on a city council somewhere, I'd be like, yeah, he's pretty much a sleazy bastard. He's not being convicted. No, he hasn't. But he's paid the woman for her silence. He lied about not being photographed with her. He lied to Maitlis on a half a dozen occasions, at least on Newsnight. He's a dirty bastard. But Craig, I hear you. Leslie says maybe the picture of Prince Andrew and the young girl with Ghislaine Maxwell was the insurance policy for the elite cabal. You might be right, Leslie. This is your Richie Allen show. Coming up in a couple of moments, um, I'm looking forward to this. It's really interesting. A group of Welsh uh, mothers, four mothers, representing more than 5,000 parents and grandparents, started legal action against the Welsh government because the Welsh government is rolling out a new um, relationships and sex education curriculum for primary school children as young as three. The parents think it's totally inappropriate for the kids, 
So they're taking the government to court. And Kim Isherwood is chairing the campaign group Public Child Protection Wales and she'll be with me in a few minutes' time. If you have anything to comment on that, if you'd like to say something about that, do it, of course. Do it, do it. Via, of course, richieallen.co.uk where it says comment live. That is how you do it, so do it. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. I positively love Sierra Farrell and I can't wait to see her in Liverpool in June. Can't wait to see her. Here she is with the sea. Glorious little tune. Back with my uh, guest shortly. It's the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, with me, your BBG. That is Sierra Farrell and The Sea on The Richie Allen Show. It's uh, pretty much uh, just gone half past five. Thursday's programme, welcome to it. This is very serious, I believe. A very serious issue. And I'm glad uh, to be talking about it today because I hear from a lot of parents of primary school children who are very concerned about the things that their children are hearing in classrooms. Four mothers who represent more than 5,000 parents have taken legal action against the Welsh Government, suing the Welsh Government over plans to change the curriculum to introduce a relationship and sex education curriculum from this September, which will ask children as young as three to learn about sex and gender identity. More than 5,000 parents are concerned. Let's welcome to the programme Kim Isherwood. Kim chairs the campaign group Public Child Protection Wales and she also has a master's degree in criminology. Kim, I, I know you're incredibly busy. Thanks for taking the time out to speak to us. How are you? Oh, I'm great, thanks. Thank you for having us on. It's, it's, uh, it's a great pleasure. It's a massive issue, this, isn't it? It really is huge. When did you, as a parent, begin to become concerned about what was going to be happening in schools with respect to this new curriculum? I became concerned when I discovered an online article. It was in mainstream news. That was the first time I heard of it. Um, being aware of things happening around the UK and other parts of the world, I immediately become concerned because this sex education is quite different to everywhere else. It is from age three to 16 with no parental opt-out. It is no longer a standalone um, subject. It is incorporated right away across the curriculum. So it's in every single lesson that is, we've got no control at all over it. It's simply out of our hands and that's from age three. From age three, so when you say it isn't standalone, a teacher could introduce elements of this when discussing geography, history or English? Yeah, that is that is the plan. It is not a standalone subject. So where we are at now, we have four mandatory subjects from age three, and that is English, Welsh, religion, values and ethics, and relationship and sexuality education. This is from age three and those things will be incorporated right across the curriculum. What exactly, as you understand it, uh, Kim, what exactly do they want children to to learn or to consider? What are the sorts of things that, I mean, I know this because I've been looking into this myself, but for people who haven't a clue, what sort of things do they want children to consider and to think about that, that you find so offensive, you and the 5,000 other parents? 
Well, um, there's things in there like body autonomy and three-year-olds making decisions over their own body um, whilst introducing gender ideologies, um, you know, like giving, um, telling children they can be of the opposite sex and things like that. That's a massive concern for very small children. You know, it's a massive concern for teenagers. But to be introducing these kinds of things from a young age and making them look colourful and cool and, and doing it in the name of um, children's rights um, we are really concerned. We're massively concerned. That's the, you kind of answered my next question because I was going to ask, what problem do, 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 do those responsible for the curriculum, what problem is it they think they're solving by doing this? And, and you've kind of answered that. Um, yeah. Well, go ahead, Kim. Yeah, well, this is it. We're being told that um, from that age, children will be, will be taught how to be kind how to be inclusive. Um, well, if that was the main reason for this, then why do we need a piece of law for it? Why do we need to legislate if it's just teaching children about kindness, you know? Then people are told that it's safeguards. But when you actually look at lesson content, it doesn't actually safeguards. It kind of programs children into one way of behaving and one way of thinking. You mean it doesn't allow for the child to develop by himself or herself and to formulate his or her own opinions based on their own experiences? No, no, not at all. It doesn't encourage people to, you know, um, express individuality or feel comfortable in their own skin. You know, it's giving um, children options and they are very uh, attractive options and, you know, very colourful. Everything, everything's, everything's made to look cool and exciting. What, what, what you, Wales, of course, is a devolved government. Is the political class in Wales almost, is it behind this, Kim? Is there any opposition to this in politics? There is absolutely no opposition to this in politics. Um, the, we, the Conservatives present themselves as in opposition, but they fail to actually act on that. Um, can I just say that this is, this is a UK-wide problem. We're just all at different stages of it. The four governments of the UK signed up to this form of education back in March 2017. So we're being told this is RSE. It's actually CSE, which is Comprehensive Sexuality Education. So that is something um, people around the UK are not understanding. They think this is just a Welsh problem when we are just in this, we are just in this situation right now. We are actually... We're all in the same boat, but the war is actually just taking place in Wales, you know? The war, you see it as, as serious as that, that this is a war. And, and on that, you mentioned earlier that parents will not have the option to opt their children out of it because it's not standalone, it's right across the curriculum. What, what has anybody given any indication as to what might happen if parents try to interfere and say, no, my child is not going to sit through this? What, 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 will, what will the penalties be, Kim? Well, um, to quote uh, the former education minister, you know, the, the children have a right to this education. So we would be in breach then of their rights, wouldn't we? We've been told as well by the Children's Commissioner that it is their right to an education. We've also been told by a former minister of the Senate that it, it, this is their right. 
on the hierarchy of rights in Wales, children's rights override parental rights. So we essentially we would be in breach of their rights, which if we become problematic um, in practical terms, the school would then refer that problematic parent to local authority. To social services. So we would, but we would essentially then be, um, you know, where do we go with this? Because if we do not meet attendance requirements, we get criminalised. So if we do not meet the curriculum requirements, will we then be criminalised as well, have this intervention, you know? It's, a, it's, it's hard to comprehend this, and yet I know it's happening. Here you have the government effectively saying, we're going to take your children as young as three, and we're going to talk to them about sexual um, attraction. We're going to talk to them about gender identity. We're going to talk to them about issues around sexuality. And there's nothing you can do about it as a parent. If you try to interfere with it, well, we can make trouble for you. We might refer you to social services. Um, we might label you as a bad parent. This is absolutely... And apart from the, the, the Mail Online and the Daily Mail and occasionally the Telegraph, nobody wants to touch this in terms of the media, right? Nobody at all. Absolutely nobody at all. Unless it's to discredit someone, yeah. you will find that there's, there's like 21 organisations in the UK up in arms about this. Um, but do you know who they are? N- nobody uh, knows because yeah. it's ve- it's, this is kept under wraps. This is the one subject nobody wants to touch. It's amazing. For fear, I suppose, of being cancelled because you have groups like Stonewall, of course, and others who go after people, calling them homophobic and transphobic, these, you know, nonsense words that shouldn't exist. It's got nothing to do with anybody hating trans or or gay people. It's to do with children shouldn't be considering these issues. I'm 47, Kim. I remember going to primary school. In 1979, I entered primary school. It was a joyous place to be as a child. You know, we spent most of our time outdoors. Yeah. We learned how to read and write in Irish, in the Irish language, in English. We we did a bit of mathematics. We did arts and crafts. And it was magnificent. We were left alone. And they should yeah. leave children alone, right? Well, this is it, you know. Um, their brains are still developing. You know, their brains are immature. They Not all children are going to be ready for the same kind of information. But we do know in a classroom, no matter how young a child is, a, B, C and one, two, three isn't going to impact them psychologically. Yeah. You yeah. know, so there are some things you cannot introduce to a child before they are ready. And I think in the words of um, Judith Freisman, a wonderful lady who's just passed away, it takes three tenths of a second to imprint something on a child's mind. And when something is put there they're not ready for, we can't undo that. We can never undo that. You're... Um, you have a master's in criminology, Kim, and we're speaking to Kim Isherwood, by the way, uh, folks. Kim chairs the campaign group Public Child Protection Wales. Uh, Kim and four uh, is, is one of four mothers who represent several thousand, over 5,000 parents who are absolutely, I suppose, apoplectic that this is happening. And I think quite rightly, uh, you know, I should be maybe playing the devil's advocate yeah. here, but I can't. And on the criminology side of it, because you, your special interests, what you've worked on, you've worked on child sex abuse, exploitation and harmful behaviour. How yeah. how much damage might it do to children, do you think? Well, yep. Go ahead. This, this, is, this is the funny thing for me. Um, I've spent 23 years in the criminal justice system, one way or another. 
Um, that's what I was introduced to institutional abuse. I've gone on to develop my criminological background and educational front. But I'm also a mother of a child of additional needs. So I've got 15 years in education policy and a joint honours degree in social policy. So for me, I've always read education policy. I've always been in this criminal dark world and, and foreseen dangers, um, perpetrators of abuse. I study their behaviours, their patterns of offending. for something I'm hugely passionate about. And when I read frameworks from the government, and I'm recognising things that I refer to as a model of offending, so a process offender takes while, while um, carrying out these offences, because these offences begin in the head before, they put, before they're acted out. And the school environment offers plenty of opportunity for this to take place. Um, I'm massively concerned, massively, massively concerned. And when I first saw these documents, um, the concern was lots of questions. I, I could not believe that these credible non-government organisations were um, suggesting such things around children, um, being sexual from birth and well, being able to consent and things like that. Um, early childhood masturbation is in the original documentation. Um, I, I, I just couldn't understand where this has come from. So obviously my research into the uh, comprehensive sexuality education actually began back in 2013. So I've gone all the way back to the 1950s with this in my own personal research right? before this came to the UK. Talking about early masturbation, so somebody at some stage thought it a good idea to get a teacher to talk to young children about masturbation. I, I say this, I, I, I pull you back to that point because I, yeah. saw, I saw an extraordinary video coming out of one of the Australian states, I don't know which one it was, maybe Victoria, where uh, a politician in the parliament there was written to by a mother who was disgusted that a teacher had sent her young child home, her six-year-old child home, to ask the father about masturbation. Now, that's true. That's not, um, you know, tabloid media nonsense. It actually happened. This is happening. It's not just happening here. Yeah. Um, actually, this actually... There is a piece of lesson content which hit 241 schools in England in 2018. And it's, a, it's part of the All About Me package. It comes from the same place where all our resources come from and it's called self-stimulation. So in this piece of lesson content, which actually went to 241 primary schools, um, it's talking about how um, it's okay to touch yourself. Um, it's just like picking your nose or twiddling your hair. Um, it's perfectly very normal to do it, but it's rude to do it in front of people. Um, it's not, sorry, some people may think it's rude, but it's not polite to do it in front of people, and it's certainly not polite to do it in the classroom. Now, so Kim, that do is we, an example. Do we, do, we but, know, do we know if any teacher in those 241 schools actually discussed this with children? Did it happen? Um, yeah, yes, it was. Um, so this 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 has been in media as well. So we followed this back from Mamsnet. We got the, the actual resource. So yeah, this was delivered in classrooms. And can I just talk about it a little bit more in a criminological sense as well? Of course you can. So, We've got plenty of time. We've got till six o'clock. Go ahead. 
Brilliant. So um, the actual piece of lesson content now, it doesn't just introduce the concept of early childhood masturbation. We have got four types of children in that classroom. We've got children who do put their arms on their trousers. We've got children that simply do not bother. We've got ones that do it because they've been neglected and it's soothing. And then we've got children who are doing it because they have been abused. So what we've done in little children, we're looking for something which, which is called a non-verbal disclosure. So that would be in behaviours or ways they present and things like that. Now, what we've done by delivering our lesson, we have, in, we have drawn all child's attention to their genitals for a start. Yeah. We have also programmed them away from doing it in the classroom. So the place essentially where they are six hours a day and we're supposed to be safeguarding them. We have programmed every child away from what we call a non-verbal disclosure. So we told that schools are places of safeguarding. So why hasn't one teacher in the 241 schools we know about spoken about Objected. this barrier to non-verbal yeah. disclosure? I don't know. I was going to ask you, where are the teachers? If I was teaching, if che teaching was my chosen profession... I, 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 I swear to it, right hand to God, as they say, I wouldn't. There's no way I would talk to a child about that. No way. But it, it's, it's in these fluffy documents and it's surrounded by yeah. wonderful words, empowering words, how, how they're doing all, all good for these children. The teachers aren't really going to be questioning. So, And what we have found in like lesson content from Scotland, a lot of the lesson plan is nice. It's good. It's fine. But then there's just a section within there. And obviously, like, um, sexual safeguarding is a complex field. It's very, very complex. There's many layers to it. And we're expecting teachers to understand this. That's unfair. That's an unfair thing to do. If teachers properly understood this, they wouldn't they be wouldn't teaching in school. This is they a good point. They would be teaching in college or university. You know? Right, so you're saying it's, it's, it's short-sighted of someone like me to lay the blame at the door of the teacher, is what you're saying. In, 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 yes, you know, not, oh, yes and no, you know, um, teachers should be questioning more, but they're also kept busy as well, aren't they? Yeah. You know, and when you've got these big organisations bringing in this, these resources and this framework, who are you to question them? You know, it, take, it takes a lot of guts to actually question these things. Like for myself, I, I was naive in 2013 thinking, what? No way would this organisation say this, you know? And, and, it, and it took, and it took a lot for me to actually digest it. So it's, it's a bit of a process as well. When teachers are told they are trained, who are we to come along and say any different? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a catch 22, but then, and this, this is why we should all sit down together and be discussing these concerns. We should never be closing the door on parents, especially with three year olds. We need to build a fantastic three way relationship the school, the student, and the parent. That's the best way to safeguard a child. It's funny you say that. I was watching Good Morning Britain earlier on, and the LGBT rights campaigner Peter Tatchell was on, and also the teacher Debbie Hayton was on. Now, Debbie's been on this programme a few times. Debbie is a trans, uh, is a trans woman, and she's a teacher. Um, but has a very sensible approach to this, to this issue. They were arguing this morning about the responsibility of teachers 
to communicate with parents if the teacher is told something by the child. So the child might say to the teacher, I'm trans, I'm not really a boy, I'm a girl. And Debbie Hayton, the teacher, said that the school must communicate this to the parents. The parents must be informed of it. And um, Peter Tatchell, the LGBT guy who has also been on this programme, um, he said no, not if the child doesn't want the parent to be told. Now, I find that very sinister, to be honest. What do you well, think? Well, he's been a massive campaigner for us to remove our parental opt-out. Yeah. He is a man that has been fighting tough and nail to remove our parental opt-out and any control we have surrounding children, sex, sexuality, transgenderism, anything. He seems to be the driving force behind this. And um, I don't think he should be getting any airtime at all. You know, he he speaks about he speaks about sinister stuff, sinister behaviour towards children. He has actually been on air discussing how how it's possible that a nine year old boy may be consenting and enjoy sex with a fully grown man. He says that stuff. Now I you know, challenged so- I challenged him on this program about those very points. It was fairly robust, to be honest, and he denies um, he denies any. Uh, intention to lower the age of consent or to normalise sex between boys and men. He categorically denies that. That's what he says. I'm just putting that out there now because he says, no, absolutely not. He said that some years ago he was stitched up, he says, that he wanted to draw attention to the fact that um, 16 or 17-year-old boys or something like that might have had a consenting relationship with a 19 or a 20-year-old man. And he wanted to kind of he said to, to, he didn't want that to be criminalised later on. You know that later on the 20-year-old, yeah. some years down the line, is, 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 is charged with an offence for that. But he says he doesn't in any way condone relationships between children and adults. That's what he says now. I've got to say that, Kim. Oh, he's changed his mind now, has he? Well, that's what he says. That's what he said to me. I can't. Oh, I, I can't right. say anything okay. else. Okay, I'm just going. I'm just going off an interview that um, that's on YouTube. You know, I've watched the full interview, so I'm just going off that. I am, but the fact he is very keen to give this um, uh, to, to essentially empower children beyond capacity within these topics. Um, that's very sinister. I don't, I don't like I don't that. Think, I don't think he should be given any airtime. To be honest with you, you know, I don't think he's got any right to be speaking on behalf of anyone. I don't think he's a father. Yeah, look, I understand that. I mean, to be fair to Good Morning Britain, they did put Debbie Hayton up against him. And she said, listen, absolutely wrong. The parents must be informed by the school. The parents are the guardians of the children. They're their parents. They have the utmost responsibility for the kids. And it's absolutely wrong for the school not to communicate that to the... the, let, Let me ask you this. I mean, are we seeing already some of the impact of this. Like, for example, I covered a story earlier this week about how at one particular school, you've seen this, I'm sure, Kim, at one particular secondary school in this country, um, quite an alarming number of children, uh, one in every 15, in fact, identified as transgender or non-binary. Now, that that's not right, that. It doesn't sound right. I mean, we've had transgender people, we've had transvestites, we've had transsexual people for years and years and years and years. They've always been a very small minority. For this to happen, one in 15 in one school and one school alone, 
that suggests that some of this change to the education around relationships is having some impact. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, I would definitely say to that, but I, I would go as far as to add in. Um, we do hear of these increase in numbers, but we don't hear of the 80 to 90% that change their mind by adulthood. Yeah. We don't hear about that. We also get threats that if we don't support children um, with going through this, that they will commit suicide. Well, actually... 40% of the 80 to 90% who change their mind actually do go on to take their own lives. So I think it's very, very dangerous. And I did warn some people in the school um, just this week, actually, that there are lawsuits going on now amongst this amongst this practice and in these clinics and things like that. And the teachers need to be very careful that, that um you know, that they could get caught up in this kind of stuff because they haven't been given the full information themselves. And there was a case in, in the Rhonda here in Wales where the school had used um, the transgender toolkit and had um, allowed a child to, um, to, to take the role of a different gender then and a different name. And that was behind the parents' back as well. Let me ask you this finally, uh, Kim. Uh, you've been listening, by the way, to Kimberly Isherwood. Kim is a criminologist, a master's in criminology, has um, had years of experience around education, around this particular issue. She chairs the campaign group Public Child Protection Wales. They represent thousands of parents who are angry, to say the least, that the Welsh Government has said this will come in in September, it will be right across the curriculum, children as young as three will be asked to talk about and discuss and learn about these issues and parents don't have an opt-out. That's really, really, really crucial to this. Look, this is just my opinion. I think it's a bit more sinister than, you know, kind of, uh, how do I say this, than clumsy educators trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist. I think it's more sinister. I don't believe it's just clumsy Egypts, as we say in Ireland, messing around with something they don't understand. I think there's a wider problem with the sexualisation of children. And when I say that, I'm called a conspiracy lunatic. What do you think when I say that? Well, I'm called a conspiracy lunatic as well, but I've been saying it for years. Um, I've been saying it for years amongst academics, and they totally agree. Um, I have foreseen this kind of stuff um, coming anyway, and I was always told that I was over the top. But, like, I only concentrate within the fields um, that I'm passionate about, so I don't look at mainstream media, I don't look at things outside of that. But yeah, I've been looking at the work academics have been using, how they've changed policies, how they've changed laws. Um, Their science is completely unethical. And yeah, this has definitely been going on for a long time. There's a hell of a lot of exploitation. That's not, and it's not just children, it's the minority platforms as well. This is, yeah, well thought out. (laughs) Kim, tell us, um, the the, the, the camp, Pain group that you chair, Public Child Protection Wales. What's the website address for us? So it's www.publicchildprotectionwales.org. Couldn't be simpler. Publicchildprotectionwales.org. Um, sincere yeah. good luck in the case against the Welsh Government. Please come back and update us when there is news to bring us, Kim. I'd really appreciate oh, we that. Will do, yeah. And please, can people subscribe and follow us? We, this is... This is a massive fight. We need everyone from the UK supporting us now. 
we have to raise lots of money and lots of awareness and we can't do this without without the whole of the UK behind us, basically. You can find Kim on Twitter. I'm going to give you her Twitter handle now. It's at Kimberly Tish. So it's at Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y, T-I-S-H at Kimberly Tish. Follow her there and it's Public Child Protection Wales.org. Thanks for coming on, Kim. I know you've had oh, a crazy thanks week. Thanks ever so much. Thank you for having me on, Richie, and I uh, look forward to giving you an update sometime soon. Anytime. Doors wide open. Thanks so much, Kim. Kimberly Isherwood live on the line um, from Port Talbot in Wales. The time is exactly two minutes to the top of the hour to your comments then you can leave them richieallen.co.uk comment live at the top of the page love your comments comment at me comment to me do it to me Caroline says they're normalising this so they can get away with the disgusting acts they do to innocent children parents need to take back control and bring up their children and stop sending them to nursery etc at such a young age you had them, now be responsible for them, says Caroline. Uh, Tim came back on to say children should be educated according to their needs and interests. That's ploughed in 1967. I can't see much of a need for this, and certainly no three-year-old is going to be naturally interested in such matters. That's very good. Wayne says, Richie, has your guest seen this? It's the family sex show. It's a theatre group doing a performance about sex. The show is being shown to children as young as five years old and contains explanations of sexually explicit language and contains nudity. Uh, Thanks for that. The link is there as well, itv.com. It's a link on ITV, Wayne there. If you want to see that, go to live comment on my website. I guess she probably has seen it. I haven't seen it, but I I have read uh, about it. Andrea says, there seems to be a global agenda to undermine the family. Now, I realise not everyone's family background is ideal, but generally these issues should be spoken of age appropriately by the family. Parents should and must be consulted about the way sex education is taught in schools and certainly the appropriate age. I can't believe that this proliferation of LGBT young people is accidental. This is young people coming out as trans. Why not push children and young people into a sexuality that will not involve committed loving relationships and that, as a result, the birth of children will drop, she says, Andrea. She thinks that's part of it. You know, to push children away from, I suppose, the norm. Now, to my gay and lesbian friends, don't uh, lose your shit when I say the norm. There isn't anything abnormal about you as a gay person. I'm not saying that. But the norm, heterosexuality is the norm. Procreation between men and women is the norm. Andrea is saying this is being screwed with, in her opinion. Uh, Chris and Emma uh, say, people have been so divided, I don't know what it would take to unite us against this whole agenda. Look at the way the government has treated the elderly and our children over the last two years. Surely people need to do uh, some thinking um, and also stop thinking that these parties and MPs are going to save us. People need to be governing themselves in smaller communities. That's Chris and Emma there. Richard says you need to do a deeper dive on Tatchell, Richie. Maybe you should have thought about the way you phrased that, Richard. <laughs> Listen. On three different occasions, once at the People's Voice in London and twice on this programme, I think once in 2014, once in 2016, I robustly pursued a line of questioning 
I pursued a line of questioning with Peter Tatchell, where I asked him if he ever sought to lower the age of consent to facilitate men having sexual relationships with minors. And he said no, categorically not. He doesn't support the idea of men having sex with children or or with um, boys under the age of consent. You can only do your job, Richard. And I did it. I went after him pretty hard. In fact, in London, I went after him really hard. And he stood up to me and he said no. And he sent me some documentation, which I published at the time, which he said suggests that he was stitched up by the Guardian newspaper many years ago over a point he was trying to make about... He said himself, I'll tell you what Peter Tatchell said. He said that when he was 16, he had sex with adult men and that he knew what he was doing. He said it was consensual. I said to him at the time, it doesn't matter. The guy you had sex with broke the law. He was 16. And I pressed him on the 15-year-old point. I said, well, if you were 15 then and you felt you were mature enough, would you not want the guy to be prosecuted? And I think he said to me he wouldn't want the guy to be prosecuted. And I disagreed with him vehemently. That's the point he was making. He says, but I don't tell my listeners what to believe. I do my job as best as I possibly can. And uh, and you make your own mind up then. David says, schools basically fucked up my head when I was a child. And then he goes on to talk about the earth. I'm not getting into it, David. It's funny every now and then, but not every day, you know. Does it matter really um, whether you believe the earth is flat or not? I don't care. I don't hold it against you. But I'm not going to keep reading out comments about it. Uh, Cookie says, I remember a girl at school who would use a pencil to masturbate in the class. Really? Um, wow. Uh, another would have sex with a few boys. This is at 10, says Cookie. And some Irish friends had horrific tales about nuns making them feel bad and naughty and punish them if they touched themselves. But how would the nuns know if children were touching themselves? God, that's a whole other issue. The nuns, eh? The nuns. Evil bastards, the nuns. Isabel says, is it me or our parents' right slowly but surely being eroded? I was shocked last year when the government established that parents didn't have the right to interfere if a child wanted the COVID jab. Now parents no longer have the right to decide what their children can be told at school. I see 1984 all over this uh, with a clear division between parents and children and the government in between. Scary stuff, says Isabel, but then again, who would want their kids to go to school nowadays to be brainwashed and controlled in any case? She asks, Streff, says Richie, schools, teachers and counsellors governed by consent of the people they are supposed to serve. They are public servants. When are men and women going to stand up for their sovereignty and inalienable rights? Remove their consent, says Streff. Well, uh, Kimberly Itcherwood and thousands of parents in Wales They've said, we've had enough. We're going after this. The time is five minutes past six. My name is Richie Allen. I'm your BBG, your friendly giant, your jolly giant, your big baldy gammon. This is um, the Lighthouse family and Ocean Drive. More of your comments and I've got more news for you and more content on the world's most listened to independent radio show, The Richie Allen Show. It's the sun's gonna shine on everything 
the Lighthouse family and Ocean Drive on the Richie Allen Show. Eight and a half minutes past six it is. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. From the magnificent city of Salford, just before we get back to the news of today, Louise says child sex education or relationships and sex education is a global issue coming from the United Nations under its world core curriculum. She's right. Uh, she is and she's, she's, she sends a link there. Uh, with a re- she sends a link to a report about this. Thank you, Louise, for that. Thank you. Thank you kindly. RichieAllen.co.uk for the comments. Comment live. Leave a comment and I'll read them out as I go along. It is, um, it's an interesting one, this, isn't it? Um, a Conservative Party MP being accused of watching pornography on his phone in the chamber. It's hard to, it's hard to believe it. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. It probably has happened. It probably has. These people are vile, of course. But the brazenness of it, you know, to be in a room like that with other people around, you, cameras, particularly people sitting behind you, you know how it's, you know how those benches are laid out? You know, could you be that stupid? Could you be that unafraid of the consequences of being found? Could you, could anybody not care about being discovered watching pornography? It's, um, hmm. Cue the virtue signalling today. Uh, of course, I'm not saying it's it's right. It's wrong. If the guy did it, it's wrong. It's callous. It's disrespectful. And it is undoubtedly sexual harassment. It is. It is. It's shocking. No man or woman should be sitting down in the place of work or anywhere where they can be seen uh, looking at pornography. It's sexual harassment. A full stop. But politicians never miss a chance to virtue signal about such things, do they? Uh, to portray themselves as holier than thou, thee and me, right? Whiter than white. Can you say that anymore, by the way? Whiter than white. Listen to the goonish Labour MP, Jonathan Ashworth, talking to Times Radio, talking about how, you know, in the main, in the main, politicians are, are, are pretty wonderful people. And I think... Enough is enough. We've got to stamp out. We've got to change the culture of this place. But what I would also say, and I've said this in other interviews this morning, and I may be naive, I may be idealistic, I still think the majority of us come into politics to make society better, to Mm. deal with the issues that matter. Your listeners will agree with me, will disagree with me, but I still think most of us here here for the right reasons Mm. are here for public service sure you are you're there because you crave fame even if it's only z-list celebrity fame like being an mp that's why you're there you're a narcissistic attention seeker and it also comes with a very generous salary jonathan you're also there because like every other member of parliament you failed miserably in the private sector you're useless effectively and you sold your soul to the devil. You'll do anything and say anything given to you by a think tank for the money you get for it. You're a whore, Jonathan. You and every one of the other 650 politicians in Westminster, you've never done a day's good in your life. 
You don't go to work thinking in the morning while you're shaving yourself in the mirror. You don't think, what can I do today to make things a bit better for the people I serve? Of course you don't, you lying bastard. The first thing you did when you became an MP was you went to the House of Commons, you put your hand on the Bible and you swore allegiance to Queen Elizabeth II and all of her heirs. That's what you did. You swore allegiance to the Crown. You don't give a shit about people. Couldn't give an arse about people, really. And that's the same for all of them. I'm not picking on him. The cheek of him. We're all good people and we, we come here to do good. No, you don't. You come to be on television and to line your own pockets. That's what you do. And you know that if you do what you're told to do and you advance the agenda just by a few inches, even, you'll be rewarded when you leave politics, you and your family. That's how it goes. We're not stupid. And I think increasing numbers of people are starting to realise that. Hmm. But on this watching porn in public shite, the barrister and academic Charlotte Proudman believes that men watching pornography in public is becoming more common. Now, I'm not going to opine on this because I don't know. Do you know? Is it conceivable that men, look, I suppose it is, the devices are here, right? I'm looking at my smartphone now. I hate having one. I don't use it very often. I do need to have email on the run, though, because of my job, so it is handy like that. But I'm looking at it, and within seconds I can open up a pornography website and I can watch full HD, if not 4K HD, pornography on the, fo- on the phone if I wanted to. No, I don't want to. But, and I'm not virtue signalling here, I'm not going to lie and say that I've never watched pornography. By the way, I wish the Times radio presenter would have had the balls to ask Ashworth, Jonathan, do you watch porn? That's the problem with radio presenters today. They're not very good. They don't have the balls. When he was doing all that virtue signalling about how disgusting it is that the guy was watching it in public, and by the way, I don't think it's disgusting that he was watching it in public. I think it's sexual harassment. And he should have to pay for that. Um, But I don't judge people as disgusting because they watch pornography. But watching it in public is not appropriate. The type of pornography he was watching, that's another issue. I have no idea. But I would have loved to ask Jonathan Ashworth. Listen, while we have you on, do you watch pornography, Jonathan? Eh? Do you? Yeah. Anyway, the barrister and academic Charlotte Proudman believes that men watching pornography in public is common. She told this to Sheila Fogarty on LBC. I think that it has become more prolific in public spaces and not just with adults either, with children being exposed to pornography. And as a woman, you know, on public transport, watching someone else, normally a man, say, watching pornography, I would be exposed to sexual activity without my consent. No doubt would feel very intimidated and would feel that what is supposed to be a public space would become very hostile. Mm. And then if that's happening in the workplace and you have uh, a work colleague that's objectifying women in that way, in a very degrading way, you wonder how they then will respond to female colleagues when they're openly watching pornography in the workplace. I think what really concerns me here is that these are male MPs that are watching pornography. These are men that are making the laws in our country concerning violence against women and girls. Why would they vote 
to introduce a specific criminal offence which would legislate against this type of activity of watching porn. When they're consumers of it. Exactly. Isn't there a conflict of interest? In fact, more than that, they're likely to support this behaviour engaging in it themselves. And in fact, in 2018, there was a proposal to introduce a law to criminalise this behaviour. And surprise, surprise, it hasn't happened. Yeah, 2018, a law proposed to criminalise watching pornography in public where others could be exposed to it. Excuse me, it wasn't supported, it didn't pass. Let me ask you this, it's a strange question to ask at the end of the week on a Thursday. But you can be as honest as you want or you can just not, you can just ignore me, you don't have to answer it, of course you don't. Do you watch pornography? And I ask the male and female listeners, do you watch pornography? Or better still, don't answer that. Don't answer that. That's none of my business. Answer this. Is it okay to watch pornography? Obviously, it isn't okay to watch it in public. It is not. It should be kept away from anybody else. It should be kept away from, especially keep it away from children. But on your own, is it okay to watch pornography? Genuine question. Give me a genuine answer. I'll let you think about it while we do some more news. I don't believe in lying to my listeners. I occasionally watch pornography occasionally. That's not a lie, by the way. Not every day, not every week. Occasionally. That's the truth, I have to be honest. Um, but I'm 47 years old. And this this is not a cop-out now. It might sound like a cop-out. What I don't do is I don't watch the sort of pornography that you'll find on Pornhub.com and XHamster.com because it's brutally violent stuff. I'll say no more because it's early in the afternoon. I'm not Ofcom regulated, but I'm sensitive to the fact there might be children listening. I am genuinely sensitive to that point. I thought I don't watch that stuff. It doesn't do it for me. I'm very old-fashioned and very simple. Me, I've said this before, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. I'm 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 a guy. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it because of the time of day it is. But um, occasionally, so here's the question: Is it okay? And I ask that because an old pal of mine who's an academic who's based in in Boston. Her name is Gail Dines. I'm not sure if Gail is still based in Boston. Bright, very bright woman. Feminist. Very, very, very bright woman. And she's written extensively about the harms caused by pornography, not just to children, but to everybody who consumes it and to everybody who participates in it, even if they willingly consent to being in it. She's a brilliant lady. It's about time we got her back on this programme to talk about that. And I said to her, you know, yeah, I do sometimes watch pornography. She didn't admonish or chastise me, but she tried to explain to me just how, on so many levels, how bad it is, psychologically for the consumer, but also, and physiologically, by the way, for the consumer, in her opinion, but also for, for everybody who participates. So let me know your thoughts. Is it wrong? to occasionally take your laptop and switch on to a website with adult content. Let me know. That's all I'll say uh, for the moment. Um, I mentioned Peter Tatchell and this conversation with uh, Debbie Hayton, who's been on this programme this morning. And I do find this very sinister. This idea that a school might say we're protecting the rights of the child and the child's privacy so 
when a child comes to tell us that the child is now trans, we don't have to tell the parent. Now, I'm aghast at this, but this is being discussed quite a lot lately. Um, here is Peter Tatchell speaking to GMB Good Morning Britain today. You know, it's a complicated issue because even if you think you're a, an open liberal parent and you are, you know, you're there for your kids, your kids might have a slightly different view of you, you know, uh, and we might not like that about ourselves, but they might. Uh, and in those circumstances, um, should the school be a place of complete privacy and safety uh, for that child? Or, as our other guest says, actually parents need to be involved as early as possible in that child's development. Now, you've heard me, but it bears repeating. It's outlandish, the notion that the school wouldn't inform the parents. Here's Tatchell. Well, first of all, the number one priority is what is in the interests and welfare of the child. That must come first. Having said that, children do have a right to privacy like everyone else. And if we turn to a situation where teachers become spies and snitches, mm. it will break down trust between teachers and pupils. Pupils won't feel confident in divulging things to teachers because they will fear that they will be snitched on. Um, it could, of course, put some trans children at risk mm. if parents are informed without the consultation and agreement of the child. So there are a minority of parents who are very hostile to having a trans child. Mm. And we know from experience that some trans children are subjected to emotional and psychological bullying by parents to try and stop them being trans. So informing on the child could put the child at risk from those kinds of parents. The final point I'd make is that obviously it would be ideal for parents to be informed, but teachers should consult with the child. What does the child want? Would it be safe to tell their parents? Mm. And in which case, if the child is happy about it, maybe the best thing is for the child to be present mm. when the issue is discussed with the parents and the teacher. That I think is, is, the, is probably the best approach, yes. but no approach is perfect. No, the best approach is to inform the parents. They're the child's parents, they're biological parents, they're guardians, they're legally responsible for the well-being of the child, so they must be told. Uh, as Debbie Hayton says moments later. My take as a teacher is that schools should share significant uh, in details of significant events in children's lives. Schools should share that with parents. Uh, that's the way we operate for everything else. That's the standard practice across uh, across the school, is that if a child discloses something to you, my basic training as a teacher is to assure the child I'll listen to them carefully, and then I report it within the school uh, using the normal procedures. I don't get on the phone in some uncontrolled way, but we do report it within the school. And if there's significant issues in children's lives, then parents need to be informed with that so that parents and schools can work together to support the child. Very good. On the is it okay to watch porn? Well, before we get to that, Jilly says, what the fuck do you think 99% of parents do for their children? They guide them, protect them and teach them first before the school. It is the other way round. The safe place is home, not school, says Jilly. On the porn thing, Richard says, porn can damage your love life, in my opinion. Um, 
it from experience it takes the romance from the bedroom and just leaves fantasy which doesn't leave either person fulfilled emotionally or romantically that's Richard's take on it that's the point of view I've heard expressed before Richard and uh, yeah I think you're onto something there Tony says porn so long as those being watched so long as the actors and actresses are of legal age where is the problem but I wouldn't be watching it in public on a smart spy phone screen. It isn't big enough, he says, laugh out loud, he was joking. Uh, and Pornhub is dead now, he says, they nuked it of legal good content, he says, that's Tony. Craig says, isn't it obvious, isn't it, sorry, he says, isn't it rather curious how teachers, among others, have taken on a role similar to confessional? Is it the teachers taking on that role, or is it their superiors? Is it education boards, Craig, pushing them in that direction? I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's a good point. Taffy says, last week I saw a guy on the bus watching Pornhub on his phone brazenly. Lucky he didn't crash the bus, says Taffy. Boom, boom, boom. Steve says, as long as it isn't featuring minors or unwilling participants, what people watch in private is none of anybody else's business. Whether it's any good for you or not is a totally different question. Pandora says on the porn topic, uh, I came across something recently, not literally, which showed the inner workings of the industry and how it has perhaps always been an agenda to debase society and reduce the population. It may sound odd, yet the confessions of the industry's workers and its cliques are freely admitting to, to this, says Pandora. Hmm. Horace, says Richie, the same politician that is talking about objectification of women, is supporting a bill to teach babies about sex. Yes, Richie. And then he says, love me some big bottom girls, he says. Thank you, Horace. Ian says, yes, it's okay to watch porn as it's okay to smoke and drink and other harmful stuff. Moderation is the key and self-control. Uh, Wayne says, I'm uh, no prude, but watching it in the workplace or in public surely is bang out of order. It is, and it should be illegal. It should be illegal. It should be against the law to watch stuff like that in a place where others could see it. In fact, and I think I've said this on the programme, and I think I did say this even a couple of years ago, I was pretty stunned when I first got into radio to be given a, a briefing on such matters, an honest-to-God briefing. We, the staff of the station, were introduced to a person who was brought in from outside to talk to us about sexual harassment. Now, I was... I've never been easily offended, but I took offence, I took umbrage at the idea that I needed to be told that it wasn't OK to read Playboy magazine in the canteen and look at the centrefold in full view of my female colleagues, or any other colleagues. I took offence at it. In fact, I got very annoyed during this whole tutorial and swore loudly at the end of it at my bosses. I said, you eejits. And the bosses said, Richie, the Broadcasting Commission of Ireland, as it was then, were being encouraged to tick boxes and to demonstrate that we have trained our staff in the area of sexual harassment. Strange one. I got into a very heated argument with a friend who remained a friend. We, we had many a heated argument. And the friend agreed that it was, um, it was the right policy 
for companies to forbid their employees for asking one another out. And I took real annoyance at this. I got really pissed off. I said, it is none of the company's business if a fellow employee asks me on a date or if I ask a fellow employee on a date. We're all big boys and girls. It should only interest the company if I ask Mary, for example, on a date, and Mary says no. No, Richie, I don't see you like that. You're a colleague. Fair enough. But if it isn't fair enough, and I start to treat Mary badly, if I become passive-aggressive towards Mary, if I try to sabotage Mary in any way, then it is front and centre business for the company. But otherwise, it's none of the company's business. At one time, 3,000 people worked at Waterford Crystal. Men and women, the, the famous, the world-famous Waterford Crystal. Many marriages came out of that factory. Which wouldn't have if uh, such nonsense existed back then. You can't, it's uh, against company policy. You could be fired if you ask one of your workmates out. You might have opinions on that. Yes. Yes, indeed. It's uh, coming up for half past Six o'clock. I'm with you for another wee while. What do you... What, what, what? It's... I don't know. Do we laugh? Do we take the piss? Do we mock? Do we mercilessly rip the piss out of these people? You've seen that Just Stop Oil have been out and about today on the M25. The little bastards, and they are a shower of little bastards, right? Who want to stop oil... They want to stop the drilling for any more oil and they want us to exhaust the oil reserves. By reserves now, I mean the oil that has already been drilled and it has been processed, right? After we use up all of that, we're to dispense with oil forever to save the planet. What they've been doing today is proper vandalism. They've been smashing the glass screens on the petrol pumps to make them inoperable, on the M25. And some of them have been gluing their hands to petrol pumps in stations on the M25, a proper bunch of Muppets. But they believe it. They believe it. They believe the world is coming to an end. There was an interesting exchange on LBC this morning. Nick Ferrari speaking with Fiona who is one of these activists? How can you possibly justify smashing petrol pumps up with hammers? Yes, how can you justify smashing petrol pumps with hammers? Because Come on. If you, are, if you are frightened for your future and <laughs> for every child on this planet... You're not you seriously to, supporting like a, criminal damage, are you? I, I am saying that when people are frightened, they take action. And when the government No, no, but you don't protect, justify it, do you? This government, according to experts, is failing to protect us. Well, they would the say we're going to be carbon neutral by, I think it was 2 o'clock this afternoon. And I can't quite remember. Well, 2 o'clock this afternoon would be great, but it's not possible. All no, Just Stop Oil then. want is no more new oil. No, but fields. they don't That's have a right to smash petrol for. stations up. They don't have a right, but we do have a right to protest, and we do have a right to disrupt. Protest. Uh, well, but not to dis disrupt normal people who are trying to get well, by. Unfortunately, when we glue ourselves to Shell or government buildings or occupy streets outside the par Parliament, that, that hasn't worked. So basically, the well, what's next? Media Start gluing themselves to my front door. Well, 
the, the problem Look, is... You're not important, Nick. Don't get too excited. They won't be gluing themselves to your front door. They are crazy. What I found hilarious today was one of them, a guy called Nathan, he glued himself to a pump at a BP garage at Clackett Lane Services. Now, as a driver who has driven in the UK, uh, I know a few services. I'm not familiar with Clackett Lane Services. Some services are very good. Others are dreadful. Remember Ben Elton, stand-up gag? The great Ben Elton, his gag about the state of the services in the UK back in the 90s. <laughs> when you couldn't find a toilet without a reservoir of piss on the ground. Remember those days? I remember those days. I remember taking coach trips to the UK to watch Manchester United and then going back home after the midweek European game and inevitably stopping at services two or three times because we'd had so much lager that we had broken the seal ages ago, and we needed to go for a wee-wee a lot of times. Jesus, the services were disgusting. Either that or George, we always had George as a coach driver, was just dim and just found the awful, disgusting, filthy services. These days, the services, I think, are much better. But anyway, this aged Nathan from Just Stop Oil, he glued his, his, his hand to, to a pump and then he complained of having cramp. This is true now. He complained that he had cramp. And rather than smack the bejesus out of him, somebody from the garage gave him a chair so that he could sit down and take the weight off of his arm. Did you ever watch WWE or WWF over the years? The Undertaker, The Ultimate Warrior. Macho man Randy Savage. I'd have brought the chair out to him and pretended I was going to give it to him. And I would have broken it off the back of his head. But I'm not encouraging violence, dear children. I'm not, by the way, in case anybody thinks I am. But if it was my service station and one of these bastards was out there with hammers smashing the glass, I think I'd be physical with them by way of restraining them. I don't think I would be asking them to stop, you know, What's happened to the spine of this country? What's happened to the spine of Ireland? Where are the men? What are you doing, men? Allowing these... And then, of course, I have to come back. I sound like a hypocrite. I've got to come back to the fact that they believe it. They're talking about not having children, these idiots. We shouldn't have children. We're destroying the planet. You can't explain to these dipsticks that they and we are the CO2 they want to get rid of. You can't explain it to them in a way they'll understand it. And then on top of that, the University of East Anglia has announced that climate anxiety is such a thing amongst university students who attend the University of East Anglia that they've had to deal with it. They've had to launch a project at the university. They have had to launch a project to help students cope with the hopelessness, the anger and the despair about climate change. It's extraordinary. Meg, 22, a literature student, said she had experienced depression after being overwhelmed by the scale of problems facing the planet. 
she developed an eating disorder. I don't find this funny now. Not mocking Meg. She's 22. I know all too well what it's like to be scared about things. Especially when you're younger, in your teens. The things I was scared about were real things. But, but, that being said, fair enough, right? She believes it to be real. And, um... The eating disorder came from the fact that she tried to cut out food that was packaged with plastic. She wasn't left with very much. So she was eating less and less and less and less. Food security. Um, Not having children. So they've set up something called climate cafes where students get to go and have informal sessions to discuss their terror and their despair about what we're doing to the planet. It's 24, uh, it's 23 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. So it's an incredible psyop, really. And it's irrefutable, it's not my opinion, the temperature doesn't follow CO2 levels. CO2 follows changes in temperature, which are driven primarily by the sun. This is a fact. If you manage to sit down with Meg 22 and have a chat with her. Obviously not a dinner. But if you had a chat with her and, and a beer with her, do you think you could explain to her in a way where she would actually listen that there's only a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of CO2 in the atmosphere anyway? It's actually trace amounts. It's a bit more than trace amounts, fair enough. It's 0. 0.041%. It's not even half of 1%. So it's a little bit more than trace amounts. But um, do you think she'd listen if you said to her, you know, they don't even know how much of that, which is negligible anyway. They don't know how much of that is generated by, by people's activity. They don't even know how much of that is contributed by man, and yet they want you to turn the planet into a prison. They want to suck the soul out of life. They want to stalk you 24-7. They want to give you carbon allowances. They want to force a social credit model of living on you, Meg. Do you understand that? And the bastards don't even know how much of the 0.041% is generated by industrial activity. Do you understand, Meg? It's bullshit, love. There's no need to fear it. The sun, that big mad thing up in the sky, that big ball there. That is what is driving temperature on planet Earth. Do you think they'd listen? I'm not sure they would listen. This is your Richie Allen show. With me, Richie Allen. Will I do one more story and then do one, will I? Will I do one more story? I'll tell you what I'll do before I do one more story. I'll take a tune uh, in order to lubricate my my lips uh, and my throat and then I'll come back and do one more story and we might call it a day. This is Sting. On the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. This is an Englishman in New York. On the subject of is it okay to watch pornography, Keith came on to say, I wouldn't say it's right or wrong, but it's curious to note as soon as rock carving started, so did porn, says Keith. Painting. Immediately porn. Printing press. Porn. The camera came along and we had pornographic pictures motion pictures the first movie was about going to the moon the second was probably a porno says Keith internet led to millions of pornographic images 
it does seem sort of hardwired into the human psyche, a bit like any new technology. It immediately gets a military application. Could post that, Keith. Uh, very well uh, thought out there. Yes, it has been around a long time. There's no doubt about that. But th- there is that thing, you know, about what it became. Now, what th- the first time I ever saw a pornographic film, I'm pretty sure I was about 12. Yeah, certainly wasn't younger. 12 or 13. Must have been 13 because, yeah, high school, secondary school. Two lads who I'm not in touch with anymore. In fact, I lost touch with them after secondary school, so I won't name them. Two good lads. They had a a pornographic video and they were delighted. We were all delighted. We were excited. So I can't remember whose house we went to. The obvious answer is a house where the parents were away. It was in the summer. That's what I remember. So it was probably at the end of first year. And it was the traditional 70s porn video. It was... Uh, it depicted a, a nude man and woman having very, very, very gentle sex. But full sex. You could see it. And I can't remember who started giggling, but we started giggling as, as lads do. But that's what it was. I read a book about this. I read Gail Dine's book about this years ago. I recommend her book on this subject. And um, that's what it was then. The obvious thing to mention is the cheesy music. It's become something different now, though. And I've read a number of papers about the biological impact of it, the physiological impact of it on the brain and the pleasure sensors in the brain and what it does when you keep watching this stuff, how it makes it more and more difficult to get pleasure. And eventually it causes problems with arousal and all sorts of stuff, which we won't get into. But it's definitely worth looking into again. Marilyn Hawes, who's a lovely woman and who's really clued up on this, wants to come on the programme to talk about it. I think we'll have to facilitate that. Uh, not, not just because I said I would do last time she was on, but because it's very important. So I think we will do it. No doubt about it. Let's, shall we hear a little bit from Graham Linehan? Um, today I was searching for a bit of content. It's been a quiet news day. And I knew that we had... Kimberly coming on, Kimberly Isherwood, and I knew that I had some time I needed to fill. That's what you do, you see, on radio, you fill time, two hours, but hopefully with interesting things. And I came across an interview that Graham Linehan did with GB News presenter Dan Wooten, who, of course, is well known for being a tabloid journalist here in the UK. And the last time we heard from Graham Linehan, he did an interview for BBC Radio in Northern Ireland. And he was very emotional with Graham, the creator of Father Ted, comedy writer, very bright fellow Graham Linehan. And he was very emotional about the consequences for him of speaking out for the rights of biological women, for women, for real women, and for declaring that biological sex is important. Now, he gave an interview to Dan Wooten, and here are a couple of little snippets of that, which I think are very interesting indeed. This happened yesterday. Well, I'd say I would actually say I was cancelled before Twitter. Uh, the Guardian kind of uh, uh, published a story about me taking the word of a uh, a person who was using their trans identity basically to con people, and they used that 
to say that I was harassing trans people online. Twitter then basically just ran with this image of me that was being amplified everywhere by, by loads of Twitter users um, and banned me without telling me why. They, they, they told the press it was because I was supposedly misusing the platform. But I had a number of rules to make sure that I always stayed ahead of Twitter's, uh, Twitter's uh, terms and conditions. You know, I, I never misgendered anyone. Um, I, I was always trying to play by their rules. But just like Megan Murphy in Canada, um, you just get banned for, you know, random reasons. And the last tweet that I, was, that I uh, tweeted, and I, so I guess it was for this, simply said, men aren't women, though. You know what I mean? So, so it's like yeah. uh, just which Robert Winston arbitrary. has confirmed, one of our eminent scientists, just just recently. No, I mean I thought yeah. the cancellation of you from Twitter was really the start of of what became a snowball of loads of people uh, stating provable facts being censored by big tech. And obviously this has now resulted in, on Elon Musk's purchase. But what was so shocking, Graham, is for you, it obviously resulted in total career and personal ruin. I mean, you are the man behind Father Ted. And, and I'm correct in saying, aren't I, that, that now the creators or the co-creators or the people who own the Father Ted brand, I guess, are trying to pay you off because they're so terrified of having you involved, even though essentially you are the man behind the show. Yeah, and, you know, I'm the man behind the musical. I, it was my idea. Um, a lot of the concepts for the songs are mine. Um, you know, it's been my baby for, for about seven or eight years. And uh, it's just extraordinary to think that, that just to please a bunch of extremists, and they are extremists. Every Anyone who believes that a, a, a woman can have a penis is an extremist, you know, and a homophobic extremist at that, you know, because lesbians do not have a penis. Um, uh, you know, gay men do not have vaginas. This is homophobia and conversion therapy. He's very good there, isn't he? Anyone who says that women can have a penis is a homophobic extremist. He does still sound a bit wavering from time to time. I, I think this is... It's really hurt Graham Linehan, you know, the personal consequences of this assault on him by this lunatic agenda and its foot soldiers. You know, the impact it's had on his own personal relationships, the fact that he can't get arrested now, to use that well-worn phrase in entertainment. Um, it sounds like it's, 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 it's still a very difficult thing. I suppose it's still so fresh, it's still so recent, he, he continues. And, and for standing up to it, I'm being told by Hattrick and Sonia Friedman Productions that I'm somehow in the wrong. Hattrick is a, obviously a production company and, that made Father Ted. And it's, um, it's, it's just outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. And, and I, I, you're right, it is a completely metropolitan elite thing. All these people are terrified of America because America is where, is where this ideology is coming from. I think it's a form of American cultural imperialism, in fact. And... Um, and they want careers over there. So they're all just kind of pussyfooting around this ridiculous ideology that no one outside of it, no, no one in the real world believes. I'm sure, to, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, uh, uh, um, cis, you know, or cis woman, you know, this is a phrase that has to be explained every time it's said because ordinary people never understand what it means because the word trans isn't explained either. So this is a completely confusing, incoherent, uh, ideology that we're all supposed to go along with 
that needs eternal training from the likes of Stonewall, who are getting, you know, bundles of cash from the confusion that they're supposedly solving. And all the while, you know, a, a lesbian a woman of colour today collapsed from the stress of the trial, the case that Stonewall has, has put her under, you know? I mean, it's just, I, I just find it extraordinary that I'm in the position where I'm, I'm fighting nearly the entire left on this, you know, who I thought were progressive. Yeah, they're hardly progressive. I didn't have the time to pursue what he said there about Stonewall. Stonewall has taken a case against some woman, a lesbian woman, apparently. I've not really looked into it. I didn't get the chance to look into it today, but I'm sure if you Google Stonewall, did I say Google? Other search engines are available. Use a search engine, look for Stonewall, and then click News, and you'll find out, but I, I didn't have a chance to get into it today. It is crazy. But of late, though, there appears, now I say appears advisedly, to be a little bit of pushback against it, against this craziness. There appears to be a little bit of pushback against it. We'll have to uh, wait and see how far that goes, I suppose. Thanks for all of uh, your messages today. Thank you very much. Thank you kindly. Really, really appreciate it. Just to let you know, by the way, it's obviously a bank holiday weekend. I'm, I'm sure you're looking forward to it. The weather people tell us that it's going to be largely fine. Do you like that? Fine. It's not going to be sweltering um, in most of the country this weekend, but the weather in the UK is meant to be pretty settled. That's a good thing. So happy days. Uh, I won't be with you on Monday because it's a bank holiday and I don't work bank holidays. But I will be back on the Richie Allen Show on Tuesday. And I've already got two very good guests for Tuesday. But I'm going to keep you hanging on Tuesday. But uh, the, the other thing I do is a music show on Sunday mornings called Sunday Morning Melodies. It's, it's Marmite, Sunday Morning Melodies. You either love a show like that or you have no time for it. But if you do like easy listening music with a bit of banter, a bit of chat... Well, then it is for you. So I will be on Sunday with Sunday Morning Melodies at 10 o'clock. That is 10 of the clock. All righty. For, for those of you who have never heard of that show before, if you're new to this show, it isn't um, archived. I get to play music once and once only through my own agreement with the music rights organisations. Hence... Hence, if you listen to the podcast of the Richie Allen show, of this show, the music is edited out. I've got to edit out the music. When I finish now in a few minutes, first thing I do is I go into my little edit suite and edit the music out before I upload the podcast. That's right, I don't. That's absolutely right. I do not have a producer or an editor to do that for me. That's right, I do it myself. I do it all myself, so... Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Please do if you haven't done before. Yeah, so that's right. It's a bit of um, bit of crack Sunday morning melodies at, uh, at 10 o'clock. By the way, John came back to me quite rightly on the figures, the, the, the quantity of CO2 in Earth's Earth's atmosphere. John says, correction, Richie, not even half of 0.1%. You are right. That is right. So maybe I was right the first time to say trace amounts. 
There's very little CO2 in the atmosphere. There was much more CO2 in the atmosphere historically than there is now, predating the Industrial Revolution. This is a fact. No scientist disputes that. What we experience on a day-to-day basis is the weather. That's right, John, 100%. That is absolutely right. Now, my friend, have a wonderful May bank holiday weekend, whatever you might be planning to do with it. Look after yourselves and and one another. Get out and about and be out. If the weather is good, get out and about and disconnect from the information if you can. It does you the world of good when you do that. Say to yourself, no. No more YouTube videos. No more BitChute videos. No more other tube videos. No. I'm going to just get out and about and speak to people and spend time with people where we're not discussing the the horrible stuff that we do need to discuss, of course. Give yourself a break from it. Have a fantastic weekend. Speak to you on Sunday morning, closing out of today's show with the amazing Fairport Convention. This is one of my favourite songs of all time. It's called Who Knows Where the Time Goes. It's Sloan Tommel. Bye for now from your BBG. Bye now. Bye now.